Um, this morning we will be concluding our little mini-series within the bigger series of Ephesians. Uh, we've been focusing on the Christian family, three parts. So far we've looked at part one. Uh, it's the role and uh, priorities of the wife. We've looked at part two, the role and priorities of the husband. And this morning we're going to look at part three and wrap it up with the responsibilities of children and parents. So that's where we're going today. We've already read our main text. Thank you for doing that, Lauren. You have a great reading voice. Appreciate that. And I think I'll pray one more time. I think it's befitting, and then we'll get to work, right? Father, um, we just want to humble ourselves now and pray that uh, you would open our minds and hearts to the truth, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. He's the only way to heaven, and, and the Lord... Uh, I pray that after this sermon, more than anything, you know, kids are going to be dedicated and families and that stuff, but more than anything, that we would know the gospel, because it is what we should treasure. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, and I pray that you'd make that known today. We thank you for this time. Be glorified and honored in this place, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's begin at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, okay? Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. We'll just continue our exposition. Uh, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. And you see a little parenthetical statement. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Those are our first two set of verses we're going to be looking at. First thing we notice here about children and their responsibility is that their responsibility is to obey and honor their parents. To obey and honor their parents. Now let's break down the key words and phrases of this verse. And it's, it's always good to, to do our best to look at kind of the original words and stuff. I mean, you don't always have to do that. Sometimes things are really simple. They are here in a sense, but it's good just to break things down. It just gives it the deeper contextual meaning. Uh, so children are to obey and honor their parents. Let's look at some of the words here. Just children real quick, because I think what happens when we read a verse like this, the first thing that comes to mind are just like little tiny tots. Little children, you know, that's what we think of when we read this verse at face value, when we take it at first va face value, but children is actually technon in Greek, and it's kind of a generic term meaning all offspring, so it's kind of a broad term, it's not just, you know, little ankle biters, you know, or medium-sized ankle biters, or whatever you want to call it, it's not just little tiny children or medium-sized, it's kind of, kind of all, and and I think what the idea, what Paul is trying to promote here is the idea that, that children who, you know, of any age that live under their parents' roof, it's their responsibility to obey. And so, and many of you parents have probably said that to one of your children at a time or two when they start acting crazy and you're like, as long as you're living under my roof, uh, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. So... Children is kind of a generic term, and it really has to do with kids who live under their parents' roof. Any age, they are to obey. And obey is hupakuo in Greek, and it means to hear under, to hear under, or to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. 
What Paul is saying is that children are to put themselves under the words and under the authority of their parents. Uh, We might call that submission. That's what obedience is. It means to submit to your parents. When your parents instruct you, children, you're to listen and to obey. You're to submit yourself to them since they are your authority. Now, of course, there's an exception here, and the exception would be when, you know, it has to do with right or wrong, or wrong, actually, if if your parents or a parent is trying to instruct a child to do the wrong thing, something that doesn't honor the Lord, then obviously you're not to obey that. Every believer should refuse to do anything that is clearly against God's will as taught in Scripture. And that's a real challenge in this culture and society, right, when you have courts and supreme courts and and all of this stuff going on where they're legislating and determining law and stuff and setting law and creating law and things that are just dead set against God's truth. So it's a real challenge for us to do this, but it's what we're to do. We're always to seek to obey the Lord uh, before anyone else or anything else. So that's what obey has to do. It has to do with hearing under. It has to do with submitting to the words and authority of parents. That's what children are to do. And then he says this, for this is right. Now, that represents a child's rationale for obedience. That's the motivator. Right is dikaios, which means correct, just, righteous, and proper. So what Paul meant is obedience to parents is the right thing to do because God commanded it. Because God commands it. So obedience to parents is right, and therefore God has determined what is right. He commands it, therefore children are to obey, because it is the right thing to do. And you have another one, in the Lord. That refers to the sphere of pleasing the Lord. Children are to obey their parents because it pleases the Lord. Okay, it's the right thing to do. They're commanded to do it, but ultimately because it pleases the Lord. And in the same way, wives are to submit to their husbands. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Now, for the Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're following Jesus, all things are to be done unto the Lord in ways that please and glorify Him. Same thing with children, even though their comprehension and all of those things are not fully developed. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you, uh, it says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so that's kind of like the operating system for the Christian. That's what we're constantly mindful of. We realize what's been done for us in Christ. Therefore, we seek to obey and to glorify Him in all things. And and, and all that we do, if you're a Christian, all that we do is in response to what's already been done by Jesus. Important to know these things. Another phrase, honor your father and mother. Honor is timau which means to attribute high status, value, or worth to something or someone. Here it has to do with children keeping a high attitude toward their parents. In other words, they are to hold their parents in highest regard and respect. Now, when God first introduced His written law in the form of the Ten Commandments, the first law 
relating to human relationships was, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's Exodus 20, verse 12. And that is the law Paul reiterates in this very text. Kind of starts it with that parenthetical statement. It is the only commandment of the ten that relates to the family. Why? Because that one principle alone, when obeyed, is enough to secure the right relationship of children to their parents. It's all that needs to be said about it. Obey, honor them. That's all that needs to be said. If they honor and obey, everything else falls into place. Not only that, but it is the key principle behind all right human relationships in society. A person who grows up with a sense of respect for and obedience to his parents will have the foundation for respecting authority, the authority of other leaders and the rights of other people in general. The honor and respect for parents is of such great, just massive importance to God that Moses commanded, he said this about it, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he who curses, not just striking, not just physical abuse, but verbal abuse, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21, 15 and Leviticus 20, verse 9. Physical and or verbal abuse against a parent was a capital offense in ancient Israel. And we think, well, man, aren't aren't we glad that's not the standard for today? Well, it is in some countries. But this is how vehemently opposed to parental, you know, to child-to-parent abuse God is. And if you think about it, think of how significant and how profound it is. When you have that kind of chaos in the house, it's not long before an entire civilization falls, before an entire culture goes down the tube. I mean, if, when disorder begins in the house, it transcends the boundary of the house and goes off into all places. And it's not long before you have just total and absolute chaos, which is exactly what we're experiencing in the United States. Each year in the U.S., there are approximately 8 million serious assaults made by children against their parent. 8 million. Some children have gone as far as to murder their parents. You think of the Menendez brothers. You remember them in the news a long time ago? If you're older like me, you'll remember that. They gunned down their parents in, in their, you know, their own den while they were relaxing in their Hollywood mansion. That was in 1989. Some of you are like, dude, I wasn't even born. Well, I was. I remember it. I was like, what? That's crazy, man. What's wrong with these guys? Now, children who are incessantly told that they can do whatever they wish and can have their own way are children who will soon mock their parents, mock their teachers, mock their moral standards, mock the law and society in general. Children, on the other hand, who respect and obey their parents will build a society that is ordered, that is harmonious, and that is productive A generation of undisciplined, disobedient children will produce a society that is chaotic and destructive. And I think that that's really what we're seeing in the good old U.S. of A. right now. Now notice 
how the command to honor your father and mother is twofold. It's twofold. First, it says that it may go well with you. There's the first part. And that relates to the quality of life. Second, it says that you may live long in the land. That relates to the quantity of life promised. So you have a quality and you have a quantity factor to the command. Now this promise was originally given to Israel and it involved many tangible, you know, physical, earthly blessings. But Paul's reference to it here shows that it extends to believers today. Though its blessings may not always be tangible, a family where children and parents live in mutual love, submission, mutual love and submission, will have rich, God-given harmony and satisfaction that other families can never know. As for the promise, living long in the land, the believer who honors his parents can know, and I would say she too, because we have what? We have both male and female children. Both, they can know that their lifetime will be the full measure that God intends, because that's what the promise says. And if you don't think that God cuts lifetimes or lifespans short at times because He sees that it's necessary, then why don't you ask Ananias and Sapphira what happened to them when you get to see the Lord? Because I do believe they were believers and they were just taken out because of their lying to the Holy Spirit. They're disobedient. God can cut a life short. He can let it the days extend to the normal time that they're supposed to. And some of it is contingent on, with children at least, how they respect and honor their parents. If they do that, then they have the guarantee of living out all the days that God has appointed for them. It's really an interesting thing. Oh, let's see. Honoring your parents also includes, I say it would also include, providing for them when they are no longer able to provide for themselves. That's a huge problem in the U.S. Parents spend, what, 20 or so, and I would say today, 30 or so years, right? You have like, you know, the adult adolescent today. I don't even know how that hybrid came about, but you've got the guy who's, you know, 34 and lives at home and, you know, spends 90% of his time playing Call of Duty. Mom, time for a Hot Pocket. You know, it's like, dude, you're 35. Any of my boys try to do that? Size 12. You know where it's going. It's not happening. I mean, that's just insane, Right? And it, it's happening all the time. Somebody in here is going, man, he's talking about me. Sorry, man, but, you know, time to get busy. Parents do spend, I'd say, right, the standard is about 20 years or so doing what? Caring for and providing for their children. That's pretty normal. Extend it a little bit today. When they get older, when they get sick, it is the responsibility of their children to care and provide for them if they are unable to do so. This is something that we have to we have to redeem and, and come back to as a culture. We've, you know, we either ship our parents off or we don't have anything to do with them in their latter years when they can't provide for themselves. It's an atrocity. It's horrible. Jesus made this, he made this principle truth of caring for parents when they can't care for themselves. And I'd say whether they're older or sick or they just can't do it at all, you've got to try to help. Jesus made this principle truth lucidly clear when he rebuked the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of his day. They had developed a loophole in their religious and cultural system which allowed them to financially forsake their own parents. They declared korban, that was the word for it, korban, which meant that their money and possessions were devoted to God and could not be used 
for anything else like helping their parents if their parents needed the help. Well, I, I, I can't take care of my mom because I, I've committed everything that I have to the temple and to the worship of the Lord. And I, once those things have been handed over in some kind of an invisible way they're committed to Him, I, I can't use them for anyone else. I can't use them for anything other than that service. Well, it was despicable what they were doing. And Jesus rebuked them. He called them hypocrites and He pronounced judgment against them. You can read about that in Matthew 15. Three to six, we can see the Lord's heart. You got it. That's honoring your parents. Honoring them is respecting them when you live in your home and loving them and caring for them, obeying. And when, when you're not in their home and they're, you know, out there and they, they don't have the means to care for themselves, it means that you try to care for them, that you do what you can. That's part of honoring them. And God's heart about that is do it. Also, children have to be trained to obey and honor their parents by their parents. Because we all know if you're a parent, they don't, you know, they're not born and they immediately assimilate into that ideology. In fact, when babies are born, they are the most selfish, self-centered, helpless, right? I mean, if you don't think that, you know, all people are sinners, just handle a newborn for a little bit. He's so cute. He's a little devil. I mean, seriously, they're, they're like, you know, yeah, we love them, and we're like, ooh, goo, 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 you know, and then we send them off with their parents, right? But, I mean, you can just tell that we have a sin problem by, you know, hanging out with a baby for a little while, and when they get a little bit older and they become a toddler, then they just start, you know, ransacking the house. Then when they start having little friends, oh, let's bring them over to little Jimmy's house, and they start playing, and then, you know, one takes a toy from the other, and the other one bludgeons him with another toy to get it back, got a big old dent in his head, you send him home, I don't know what happened. I mean, just think of how they act. How they, I mean, from literally from, from birth on, they have to be trained to obey. They have to be trained to honor you as parents. You have to do it. If you don't, oh, man. I'll tell you, the book of Proverbs is a great place to start when it comes to training up children to obey and honor their parents because it contains a lot of practical wisdom for that very purpose, for that event, if you will, or thing that we do. We can also look to the life of Jesus. We can. The Gospel of Luke shows us that as a child, Jesus was in perfect subjection to His parents. And as He grew to manhood, He what? He kept increasing in wisdom, increasing in stature, increasing in favor with God and men. Luke 2, 51-52. You know, as parents, we have to help our children increase in each of those areas just as Joseph and Mary did for Jesus. It's kind of hard to believe, right? I mean, Jesus is God, and He had to be cared for by physical parents, just like we have to care for our children. He had to be trained and taught. And, and we follow that model. Our children must increase in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. There's a lot packed into that. Now, in the last two sermons... We looked at how husbands and wives are to love and care for one another, right? You've got the submission thing. You've got loving like Christ. We looked at how, we looked at the relationship between husbands and wives, right? Now, we will look at how um, husbands and wives, parents, are to love and care for their children. Okay, so we've dealt with the first half of the sermon, and that's how children are to respond or their responsibilities to their parents. Now, we'll look at 
what parents are supposed to do for the children. This is how they love and care for them. Now you look at 4a, verse 4a. It says, um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me give you a little uh, context before we exposit this verse. In Paul's day, families were in shambles. Mutual love between family members was just basically unheard of, really was, especially in the Greco-Roman world, not so much in the Jewish one. You still had some decent family ties there, but in the Greco-Roman world, it was, it was, I don't know, I'd say as screwed up as it is today, if not more. Fathers rarely, rarely, if ever, expressed love for their children or affection just unheard of. It didn't happen. Which I think is lunacy. Now listen to this. Roman law, actually, if you can believe this, and it's true, provided fathers, right, during that day, with a legal right. They had, they had been, been empowered by their own laws, fathers had been, to cast their children out of their homes for whatever reason, to sell them as slaves, to even kill them, and to be accountable to no one. That's Roman law. When a child was born, it was placed at his father's feet. If the father picked up the child, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father turned and walked away, the child was disposed of. That's what they did. Discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken to the town forum where they would be picked up and raised as either slaves or prostitutes. Children. Listen to the words of a man who actually lived during Paul's day. I pulled this from a historical um, record. He wrote this letter to his wife at the same time that Paul was writing Ephesians, really close to that time. Long time ago, a couple thousand years ago almost. He says this, Heartiest greetings. Note that we are still in Alexandria. Do not worry when the others return and I am still here. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If good luck befalls you and you have another child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. What do you think expose means? Throw it out. Let, let, the, uh, let the slave and the prostitute dealers come and get it. He wrote this to his spouse. Can you believe that these things were happening back then? That this was the way that people thought back then and the way they behaved and acted? It's really hard to imagine, right? I don't think it is at all. Did you know that research shows that the primary cause for children being in foster homes today in the U.S. is not divorce, is not financial destitution, and is not the death of their parents, but simply the disinterest of their parents? That's a statistical fact. There are over 22,000 babies left at hospitals by their parents each year in the U.S., I'm praising God they didn't just throw them out the front door like they did in Roman culture. 
But it's still incredible to think that over 22,000 babies are dropped off in hospitals. Parent drops them off and takes off. They have these baby drops there. And that, that's, that's not factoring in all the other stuff that happens. What about abortion? In the U.S., there are over one million babies aborted each year. One million babies aborted. Fifty-plus million since Roe v. Wade. You see, what was happening in the Greco-Roman world during Paul's day, I think in some ways pales in comparison to what's happening in our own nation today. What's truly hard to imagine and to comprehend the poison pill that's hard to swallow is that these things happen in America each day, every, every day. We're no better. We're no better. This is the backdrop of Paul's letter writing, that you had kids being thrown out and cast out and sold and even killed by their own parents, by their own fathers. When Paul wrote verse 4, he knew about the various forms of child abuse in the Greco-Roman world and in cities like Ephesus, which is who he wrote the letter to. All the churches in that whole area of Ephesus. That's Asia Minor, if you're a geography person. He may have addressed fathers here, right? Because he starts the sentence with fathers. He may, have, he may have addressed fathers here because he knew that they were the dominant figures in their households and the ones who would likely provoke their children to anger. That was a typical thing in those days that the fathers were verbally abusive and physically abusive. And so he may have started the letter by addressing them because he, you know, he knew that many of these, you know, the believers in this church were, you know, Roman citizens, if you will, and that they might have been still hanging on to some of those cultural norms. And he's, you know, saying fathers, that's not the way the Christian father treats his children. But I, I don't want you to make a mistake here because he says fathers. I don't want the lady folk here to think that, well, he, he couldn't have been talking about moms because they would never do such a thing. Well, the Greek word for fathers here is used in other passages in reference to elders, leaders, ancestors, parents. So the word fathers in the Greek is actually a generic term for all sorts of different people. Now, I think Paul was likely thinking of both fathers and mothers in this verse since that is who he addressed in verses 1 and 2. He's been addressing fathers and mothers, parents. And so I think that's what he intends here. Both could be abusive. Both could provoke their children to anger. To provoke to anger suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. Let me give you eight ways parents can provoke their children to anger. This was happening then, and this can happen and happens today. Here's eight ways. This is where it gets real practical. All right? Number one, you might want to Write some of these things down. You don't have to write in all the commentary to them, but you might want to write just the basic point down. Number one would be overprotection, or what I call smothering. Well-meaning overprotection is a common cause of resentment in children. Parents who smother their children, overly restrict where they can go and what they, what they can do, you know, never trust them to do things on their own and continually question their judgment, build a barrier between themselves and their children. 
usually under the delusion that they are actually building a closer relationship with their kids. Well, I'm, I'm doing all of this for your protection, and, and, you know, and it, this is about our relationship, it's about our family, it's about your well-being, and that's typically what parents say. Meanwhile, smothering the heck out of their kid, they can't, can't do anything. Don't, 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 don't take a step, <laughs> you know. I've seen it. I mean, we don't do it in our house. There's a propensity for it, I'll tell you that at times. When your kids, you know, become teenagers, all of a sudden it's like, i got to keep them close. Or, if they're that kind of teenager, leave the house. You know what I'm talking about? Whew. Children definitely need careful guidance and certain restrictions, but they are individual human beings in their own right and must learn to make decisions on their own. They have to. We have to allow them to make mistakes, to get stung by poor decisions, and to give godly, gospel-centered counsel in the midst of that. Because you know what? Your children aren't perfect. They're never going to be perfect. They're sinners like you. They're going to make mistakes. They need the same gospel that you believe in. They're going to they're jack up. And you've got to be willing to let them do that. But don't you know, take the leash off completely and let them run crazy you know you got to give them some space though let them experiment let them let them make mistakes if a child is consistently controlled smothered he will eventually become provoked to anger he will or she will if you just totally control them all the time you can't do this and you can't do that at some point that's just gonna there's animosity that's building up and that's gonna boil out they're going to be provoked to anger. They're going to explode on you and go, well, I don't know what happened. I don't even know what I did. How about the chains? Those probably caused it. I mean, it happens, you know. And I understand it. Look at the world we're living in. It's a tough, difficult, scary, darkened world, you know. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean let them have a free-for-all. It just means give them some space. They are an individual. They are a person. That'll drive them crazy. Number two, favoritism. Favoritism. Oh, man, this is a bad one. For parents to compare their children with each other, especially in the children's presence, can be devastating to the child who is maybe less talented or less favored. He or she will tend to, to become discouraged, to become resentful, withdrawn, and eventually bitter. Just think of Jacob and Esau. You're familiar with those Old Testament characters. Those two brothers were basically pitted against each other by their parents who favored one over the other. Right? Dad, dad liked Esau. Mom you know, liked Jacob. You know, that's mine. That's the one I'm sticking to. They played that whole game through their whole childhood, through their teen years and all that. What happened? They ultimately became enemies. They did. They couldn't stand each other. One brother learned to kind of manipulate his brother and steal his birthright and all these things. I mean, it was bad. You favor one kid over the other, you're headed here. That's what's going to happen. It happened with Jacob and Esau. It's happened with countless kids throughout the years. You know, Jacob and Esau became enemies. If you fast forward several thousand years to our day, their descendants are still enemies. Arabs versus Jews. Just think about the implications of favoritism we have a conflict in the middle east you bet we're going to until jesus comes back it all started back here with these two a little bit further back with isaac and ishmael just pit them against each other 
Never, ever, ever do this, parents. Never. Never. God shows no favoritism for us. You should never, ever show it to your children. And, it, and we have a propensity to do it. You know, I, I'm just going to confess to you as a pastor, I, I tend to really appreciate and, and kind of attracted to spending time with those believers who obey and do all the things I think they ought to do, the ones who are crazy and loose as a goose and all over the place. Not too much fun to hang out with them. We have a propensity to, to you know, to be attracted to those whom we think do the right things. And if you have a kid in your house who's like, you know, the, the honor roll student and all that, and the other guy rides a Harley, you know, and hey, I don't know how he does it at five, apparently, but he does it, you know, <laughs> mom, right? You know, it's like, and you know, you, you, can't, you can't put more affection and love toward one who does the right things. I, I would say, and I, I, I'm going against what I think I should say here, but maybe you ought to flip it. Maybe, maybe the child who, who is crazy needs more love and affection. <laughs> maybe he needs more attention. That's why he's acting up and bought a hog. It's a dangerous thing. Favoritism's terrible. Love your children unconditionally with agape love. The deep sacrificial love of God. Number three, perfectionism. This is another killer. Parents can pressure their children to achieve to the point that they virtually destroy them. A child quickly learns that nothing he or she does is sufficient to please his parents. As soon as he accomplishes one goal, he is immediately challenged to accomplish something bigger and something better. That's nothing, son. You can go all the way. Fathers who fantasize their own achievements through the athletic skills of their sons or mothers who fantasize a glorious career through the lives of their daughters prostitute their responsibilities as parents. Your job is to never live vicariously through your children to try to achieve all the things that you didn't do when you were a child. If a child is consistently made to feel like he can never measure up to his parents, to their standards, to their desires, what they want, he will eventually become provoked to anger. Nothing I do can please my father. How many movies have we seen with that in there? Nothing I do can satisfy my parents. My mother is so demanding. I can't, I've got a B plus. I was put out next to the dog. Some of you are saying, if my kid got a B plus, I'd move them into my room. I'd move out next to the dog. Praise the Lord. Perfectionism. I mean, it is just a... I'd say most of the time it's being driven by some kind of insecurity in the parent who missed out during their childhood and I think that my life started this way before my dad left. And I would say this, maybe him leaving when I was going into high school was the best thing for me. It's hard to say that. But I tell you what, this guy, this dude signed me up into every sport, everything that, you know, you're going to be on the swim team. I hate water. Doesn't matter. You're on the swim team. Blah, 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 you know. You're going to be a Boy Scout. Not really into that. You're going to be an Eagle Scout. Never made it to Eagle Scout, by the way. 
And there goes a tender foot. Still a tender foot. I don't even know what that means. I mean, he just signed me up for everything. And then when I would buck against it later on and say, I don't want to be on the swim team anymore. You signed up. No, you signed me up. You know what this guy used to do? Just had a memory. I was, I was like Daniel-san in The Karate Kid, right? I've said this before. I weighed a buck too wet. Um, man, I tell you, if the wind blew wrong, my arm would snap. And, and he put me on the swim team. We lived in one of the neighborhoods. We lived in Stockton at the time. They have these pools. They have community pools. You don't see as much in Modesto, but in Stockton, they have all these neighborhoods and pools and all that. And they have these community swim leagues and all that. And the guy signs me up for it. You're going to be a swimmer. I'm like, great. <laughs> you know? And so uh, when we went to all the matches, and I, I have to say that I was, a, for some reason, I was a really good swimmer. I, like, won. I beat everyone all the time. And um, I'm boasting. So... Here's what would happen when you do the swim thing. I hope I don't split my pants. But when you do it, you know, you, you got all these guys here, you know, and you're like this, right? And, you know, beep, and then, you, you know, you dive in, right? You know what that moron, sorry, Dad, you know what he would do? When I was swimming, he would run along the side and go, 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 go. And he'd go, oh, there's a baby right there. Go, 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 right? He would literally run along the side of the pool yelling and screaming at me to go while all the parents were going. He would. I think he was, wanted to be Mark Spitz. Remember that guy? Mark. And he was trying to live vicariously through my talent. It was unbelievable. My mother wouldn't even come to the meets. She was too embarrassed. Bob, you got to tone it down. He's going to be the best. You know, it was unreal. He would literally run along the side of the pool yelling at the top of his lungs, go, 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 Phil. Okay, Dad. You know? Raised from birth to be competitive like that. For him, he leaves going into high school. What do you think happened? Marijuana happened. Didn't have the guy to compete for anymore. Didn't have the guy to please anymore. Didn't have the guy to perform for anymore. Didn't know what to do. Man, if you raise your kid like that, they may not become a pastor later on. I have to tell you, I... I spent a good 10, 15 years in heavy drug use, drinking and carousing. It was terrible. Could have done without that. Four, discouragement. A child who is never complimented or encouraged by his parents is destined for trouble. If he is always told what is wrong with him, never what is right, he will soon lose hope and become convinced that he is incapable of doing anything at all, right? At that point, he has no reason to try. It's just, why, why do anything if I can never do anything right? Just constant, constantly discouraged through comments, negative comments, every little mistake, all this nitpicking. A child needs approval and encouragement in the things that are good as much as he needs correction in the things that are not good. We've got to learn as parents to, to give out as much encouragement. I mean, they don't, when, when things aren't going the way they should be and our child's off a little bit, we need to encourage them to do the right thing. But man, we need to celebrate every amazing, cool thing they do. We should. A child is consistently exposed to discouragement. I just, he's going to give up, and you're going to keep pressing him. 
and he's going to become provoked to anger over time. Discouragement's terrible. It's not the building up of a child. It's the dismantling of a child. Five, rejection. Children who are made to feel uh, that they are an intrusion, that they are always in the way and interfere with the plans and happiness of the parents cannot help but become resentful, right? We've all seen this. Maybe we've seen it in person, at least in the movies. We've seen it, it's like, come on, get out of here. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do something right now. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk with your mother. I'm trying to talk with my friend. I'm trying to, you know, if they're coming in all the time, dad, trying to get your attention, whatever, you're trying to hang out with you. Get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. You're always doing that. That, that amounts to rejection. And to such parents, or to such children, the parents themselves will eventually become unwanted and an intrusion on the children's plans and happiness. Well, that's a question you need to ask yourself right there. If, if you've got children and, 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 you know, every time you interact with them and they act like you're an intrusion, like, what do you want now? Maybe it's because you've treated them like that and they're giving back to you what you've been doing to them because that's usually the fruit that comes out of it, the bad fruit, I must point out. If a child is consistently rejected, turned away, wait, come on, out, out, get out, go. You do that consistently with a child, they will eventually become provoked to anger. They will. And they'll flip it on you. They won't want anything to do with you. Six, impatience. And I would say hurried maturation, which means pressing them to mature too quickly. This has to do with failing to let children grow up at a normal pace. Parents often chide their children for acting childish, right? Stop acting like that, even when their actions are totally normal and harmless. They say things like, stop doing that, grow up, act your age. And the little girl's like, I'm five, I'm acting my age. No, you're not, act seven. I mean, you got to admit, we've seen this. You're kind of forcing them, it's like, I, I know you're little and... I know you just learned how to use the potty, but I really need you to step up. Get a job. All right, it's silly, but it's like, man, we do this to our kids. It's like we're, we're not patient with them and, and, and help them to develop at every age and stage. Instead, we try to, we try to move them along quickly and faster than we should. Kids are going to do goofy, silly things. Be prepared for that and, and let them do it. Then deal with it. You can always go down and get a new TV. I remember Colin, when he was just a rug rat, we had just moved into this new house. And I have to admit, I didn't handle it right. Okay, so another confession. We just moved into this new house. And, you know, I, there's a ladder in the middle of the room. And, it, you know, it's a tall one. This thing had, you know, vaulted ceilings. And, uh, you know, there's a fresh gallon of paint you know, right, right there on the floor that I, and I was painting, you know, on the ceiling. And I put it down on the floor. And I, don't, I don't know what possessed his mother to let him loose because he was, like, crawling. So, yeah, so what did he do? He painted the floor. Dude comes over and flips a fresh gallon of paint on the floor right into the carpet. I mean, it was like, you know, and I'm like... 
I said some things. I don't even think I was a believer then. Uh, but believers do make mistakes. But I just, I was like, I can't believe. Why did you let him loose and all that? We ended up having to call some carpet guy to come out on a Sunday and, you know, to suck all that stuff up. What, can you imagine if he's a baby? Stop acting like an infant. Handle the paint right. Here, let me show you. Up, down, up, down, you know. Unbelievable. He jacked it all up. If a child is consistently pressured to grow up and act like an adult, or act a little older, act their age. I don't know why we say that, act your age. Why would we ever say that to someone? I guess when they're about 35, we can say that. You don't say that to someone who's five. Act your age. <laughs> I am. They will eventually become provoked to anger if we grind them like that. Seven, this is a huge one. This is probably one of the biggest no-nos of all. Earned love. Earned love. This has to do with granting a child love when he is good and withholding it when he is bad. This is terrible. Often the practice is done unconsciously. We don't realize we're doing it. But a child can sense if a parent cares for him less when he is disobedient than when he behaves. Our children are much more perceptive than we ever would care to admit. They realize when this is happening. And I'll tell you this, that is not the way that God loves us. It is not. It is the farthest thing in the world from His love. And it is not the way that He commands parents to love their children. Our love must never be based on merit. Never. If we show love when our children are good but withhold it when they are bad, we will teach them a false type of love. And if we're believers, we'll be teaching them a false gospel. We will. God, just listen as carefully as you can, God does not reward the good. It's not the way He works. Jesus did not come to do what? Call the righteous, but the sick, the unrighteous. God's love, the gospel, is more accurately communicated to our children when we love them regardless of their good behavior, regardless of their bad behavior, regardless of their ugly behavior, right? When they have super, super bad attitude. And we model God's love to them when we love them when they're high, low, and all over the place. It doesn't matter. We just keep pouring out love to them. It's so important that we get this because that's exactly the way that God loves His children. I can't sin my way out of His grace. I can't separate myself from the love of Christ, says in Scripture. And so why would we think that, you know, I mean, I, we believe that we can do these things if we're tied to a religion that says that the only way to have God's favor and love is to do a bunch of good things and please Him. And that's just not the gospel, friends. That's not what the Scripture teaches. I would say this, though, when you're a believer, you're going to seek to please God, but we're not doing it so we can earn His favor or love. We're doing it because He first loved us and because we love Him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the religion destroyer. Because all religion says you've got to earn. You've got to earn your way with God. You've got to believe in Christ. You've got to keep your salvation going. You've got to do all these good things. You've got you to be real good at it or you can lose it all. 
And we treat our kids this way, too. They do good things. Oh, that's so awesome. I love you. All that. They do bad things. Oh, I can't believe it. What are you doing? And man, we're actually proclaiming a false gospel over our kids when we do not love them the way that God loves us. If a child is consistently made to feel like he has to earn your love, he will eventually give up and he will eventually become provoked to anger. He will develop a false view of God. He will develop a false gospel of earning and earning and earning. And he will very likely end up eternally separated from the God whom he claims to love because he didn't understand the work of Christ. He didn't understand that it's Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the gospel. It's all Christ. I always say this here. We do because Christ did. We've got to make sure that we love our kids, right? We don't want to preach to them, you know, by accident. A false gospel. Eight, last. Physical and or verbal abuse. The battering of children was fairly common in Paul's day. And it is a growing tragedy in our day. Even Christian parents, fathers especially, sometimes overreact and spank their children much harder than necessary. It can happen. Proper physical discipline is not a matter of exerting superior authority and strength, but of correcting in love and reasonableness. Children are also verbally abused. That's the physical abuse. They're also verbally abused. Calling them dumb. Even saying, what you just did was so stupid. Calling them stupid. Calling them lame. Calling them ugly. I can't believe you put those clothes on this morning, Gloria. What were you thinking? That is so ugly. Using sarcasm against them, making fun of them, teasing. Deconstructive criticism is verbal abuse. Tearing them down because of their appearance or actions. That's deconstructive criticism. That's a form of verbal abuse. Hurling expletives and profanity at them is verbal abuse. Cussing at your kids. It's all verbal abuse. I think one of the things that parents get caught up in is just ridicule. Because of impatience, because the child is not meeting their stand, our standard we criticize them because of the way they're dressed or the way they're behaving or whatever we're doing. We're actually nitpicking and picking them apart. It's deconstructive criticism. It's not constructive. It doesn't help them figure out how to put clothing ensembles together or these things. It doesn't help them in any way, shape, or form. It makes them feel like a loser. I would say that there is probably in Christian homes there's a greater propensity for verbal abuse than physical abuse. I don't know what the stats are. You got to be careful when you spank your children if you do that too. I remember one time I lined all three of my boys up. Had to do it. And I hate it. I can't stand spanking my kids. It's been a long time. That was the last time I did it. It's just one, one time like that. Just, it's just so impactful for them. 
My kids would have never been timeout kids. They would have came together, put together in a covert assault force. Go in the corner, sit back there and think about what you did. They go back there and figure out a way to get out of it and break out of the room, out of Alcatraz, set up explosives on every corner of the house. I'm, 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 not the, you know, I'm not trying to promote spanking your kid, but it's, it's the way that we did it, and I, I tried to do it as humanely as possible. My kids were like, he's lying, man, he whooped our butts. You know, there's a few times where, and I'll tell you what, you never want to go into like, that's it! You know, tear your belt off and whip into them. Right? You, you don't spank your children. You do that first. That's it! You go outside, walk around a little bit, and then you go in, okay. I've, brought, I've built the gallows in the backyard for it, you know. You've got to go calm down somewhere. You've got to chill out. You, can't, you never want to discipline your child when you're heated, when you're mad. Never do it when you're mad. You know, and it, I, I got a really, really, really slow, long fuse, but it's like there's a critical mass point where I go over and, like, cabinet doors get ripped off. It's been a long time since I've done that. You guys are like, wow, he's bad. I mean, I just have a temp. I've I got a slow fuse. I'm, Carl, this is my, my old boss right here. He's, he's got the longest fuse in California. Believe me, I've lit it many times. <laughs> he's got a slow fuse. But he's, he's like me, though. When he gets to a certain point, he goes blind and starts grabbing stuff. And he's bigger and stronger, so when he grabs stuff, it breaks. When I grab it, my arm breaks. I got SpongeBob arms, you know? But they grow back. You don't want to ever, you know, that's it, you know, and just go flail on them. No way. You got to, I'll tell you what, you got to get, you got to get mental on them. I'm making an event. You know what you've done. I'll be in your room in a few moments. Right? You know what I'm saying? You feel me? They're sitting in there going, ah. I go in, drop them. I'm like Clint Eastwood. Drop them, punk. Yeah, I don't say punk, but. Now, I haven't done it in a while, but there's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it right. You never do it out of anger. You're not doing it for revenge. You're not doing it because you're mad at them. You're doing it because the parent who spares his child the rod is a willful party to their own death. You don't discipline your kids. You're basically killing them. But that's not physical abuse when you have to do that here and there. Watch out for that verbal abuse. Watch out even with what you say around your children when you're not speaking right to them, when you're speaking to one another or you're, heaven forbid, you're watching Fox News. Trump comes up there, ah, I'm the best, you know, you son of a mother, you know, it's like, hey, 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 look who's around you, you know. Be careful. You watch Fox News? <laughs> you don't, right? Because it takes you somewhere where you don't want to go, right? Amen. Be careful with what you say around them too, man. I mean, let's move on real quick. Rather than provoking your children to anger, parents are to do what? Look at 4B. Rather than provoking them to anger, parents are to do what? Look at 4B. Again, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is the responsibility of Christian fathers and mothers to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's just quickly break down these key words. Bring them up. In Greek, it means to nourish them. That's what the phrase bring them up means. Nourish them. Like as in feeding a child so they will grow physically, right? But Paul wasn't referring to physical nourishment or physical food. He was referring to spiritual nourishment. 
That's what he was referring to, spiritual nourishment and the Word of God. Parents are to nourish their children spiritually with the Word of God. That is what it means to bring them up. That's our responsibility, Christian parents, to nurture our children in the Word of God from birth all the way up till they leave the house and they even give them some good godly counsel and stuff when they're out. Discipline has a twofold meaning. First, it has to do with systematic teaching. Parents are commanded to teach their children the truths of Scripture and biblical doctrine. They are to help them understand the gospel and help them develop sound biblical theology. Second, discipline has to do with correction. Parents, more specifically fathers, are to correct their children when they disobey instructions, sin against the Lord, and what have you. Instruction of the Lord. It's real simple stuff. It has a threefold meaning. It has to do with right beliefs, right attitude, and right behavior. Parents are to use Scripture to instruct their children so that they will develop these three things. A child who has right beliefs, right attitude, and right behavior, not perfect, but they're in that, headed in that direction, I'll tell you what, they will bring joy to their parents. They will bring peace to their family. And more importantly, they will bring glory to God. They will. So what are we to do? Bring them up, nourish them with the word, discipline them, right? Systematically teach them. Teach them the doctrines of the Bible. Here's what the atonement means, son. Here's, 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 here's what the blood of Christ does. Here, here's what, I'll give you some weird ones. Here's what imputation means. Here's, the right, here's what righteousness means. Learn these things and teach them to your children. That's what discipline has to do with it. And correct them in a godly way. And then you've got to instruct them, right? So they have right beliefs, right attitude right behavior. Those are the things that we work on. Here's the question to you. We're wrapping it up. How can Christian parents fulfill their responsibility to do these things for their children if they themselves spend little to no time in the Bible? I say this because it's a pretty common occurrence in Christian homes that parents aren't spending a whole lot of time in the Word. How can parents discipline and instruct their children when they themselves are undisciplined and uninstructed? It's like having a teacher who's not trained. How can the teacher teach students if he hasn't been trained, if he doesn't know what to instruct them on? Before parents can begin to discipline and instruct their children to fulfill this, what we've been talking about, all that we've been talking about, they must first become disciplined and instructed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Only then will they be able to fulfill their God-given responsibilities to their children. The teacher must feed on the Word of God if he or she is to nourish their children with the Word of God. It's the outpouring of what God has poured into you. It's what pours out of you the truth and, and, and theology and these things. It's that that comes out that goes to our children. If you're not filled and you're instructing them, the question is, what are you instructing them with? The little bit of wisdom that you have? Maybe some of the world's ideas? Who knows? This is why it's so critical for parents, especially fathers who are the heads of their homes, to read and study the Bible regularly. Dads who do this will become well-equipped to lead their wives and children. They will. I want to encourage you. Maybe you've got great study habits and you're in the Word all the time. Praise the Lord. Maybe that's not what you've been doing. I want to encourage you to do that. 
so that you can rightly instruct your children and your family. Lead your wife. Guys, we're called to be spiritual heads and leaders of our homes. Let's do that. Let's lead. Let's feed on the word and lead.